now you can really be seated. Welcome to Timberwood Church. Um, we have some apple trees here today. Apples are kind of cool. My dad loved apple trees. We had five apple trees. And did you like an apple tree? Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. <laughs> I just love that. Okay, so my dad had like, we had this garden, right? And it was like a two-acre garden. Some of you know this. And, and next to the garden, we had like five apple trees. Because you need more than like, giving away an apple tree is giving away like a puppy. You are creating an obligation by the fact that you are giving away an apple tree. And, and at any rate, because you need more than one apple tree for the apple trees to be... Would you really use an apple tree? Dude, you look so jazzed. All right. I'm coming your way. You love trees? Here, I'm giving it a hug. <clears throat> you can hug it too. Okay, now you've got to get two more for the apple tree to be happy. Otherwise, it won't be... Right on. And they got to like bloom at the same time. Otherwise, the bees will be like, wait a second. Only one. You got to, so they roughly, right, exactly. You're right on. Do you know that you can also use a crab apple? It doesn't have to. I learned all this in preparation. So at any rate, the cool thing about apple trees, okay, is that if you take the seed from one of these, well, if you take a seed from a piece of fruit that comes off of one of these trees and plant it in the ground, you will grow an apple tree. You just won't grow that apple tree. So if you take a seed from a Harrelson apple, put it in the ground, you will grow an apple tree, but it won't be a Harrelson apple tree. That's because most of the apple trees are a product of grafting. Now, grafting is used in a couple of different ways. There's a bad meaning of graft in a political sense or a business sense where there is ill-gotten gain or you attempt to bribe or influence political graft. You attempt to gain uh, power through some back-channel means. Okay, that's kind of the bad version of graft. There's a good kind of graft if you've ever been in a situation or you know of someone who's been in a situation where they've been burned. A third-degree burned will frequently be treated by a skin graft from a healthy portion of the body, put on the burn portion of the body, and you have a skin graft. And then obviously the agricultural sense, right? The tree, the apple tree, as well as roses and plums and peaches, citrus, even watermelons. There's this article that I discovered about uh, the Brits. To continue the theme, all things Brits that they were grafting watermelons, okay? Now, why would you graft? Well, you would graft because you want um, the desired quality of the rootstock. That's what you graft into. The rootstock might be cold weather hardy. The rootstock might be disease tolerant. And, and so you want those qualities. And then you would graft in, okay, the scion, S-C-I-O-N. And, and, and you would, again, graft in because you wanted to achieve certain advantages. Maybe the color of the fruit. Maybe the size of the fruit maybe the taste of the fruit. And so you create this situation where you put together two pieces. They are grafted, and you get delicious-tasting apples, assuming you have at least three trees. The meaning, if any, is unclear. Wait, 947, verse 17, chapter 11. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted, see what I just did there? It's good stuff, right? It's right there. It's right in the text. The connection early in the sermon is made for anyone who's willing to pay attention. So what's going on here is there is this description. Some of the branches, okay? So, so the rootstock, if you will, it's the idea. It is being connected to God in relationship with God. And those initial branches that are referred to are ethnic Israel. 
But some in ethnic Israel have been broken off. Why? Well, the text will tell us because of their unbelief. And in place of the branches that were broken off because of unbelief, now they are grafted in new branches, a wild olive shoot. That's you and me. You're a wild olive shoot. It's very affirming. A little bit crazy, a little bit unkept, a little bit uncultivated, and you're grafted into something powerful, something life-giving, something very nourishing. So in essence, Paul takes us on this agricultural metaphor that, that really is another way of understanding salvation. It really is about being in, being connected to Jesus Christ. Something that was once wild is now nourished by something that is very strong. It has certain benefits, not the least of which relationship with God and eternity with the Father, Son, and Spirit. But there's a warning, verse 18. And fairness in conversation, it might be challenging a little bit today, so just kind of hang out with me. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. Okay, so the new branches shouldn't be arrogant to the old branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. That's what went down. I'm sorry, that last wasn't in there. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. It seems as though Paul is challenging a group of people who have come into, been grafted into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who have experienced the blessings of God, are now looking at the branches who have been disconnected, tore off, cut off, broken off from the root, and looking at those branches with some disdain, with some arrogance. It's kind of intriguing, isn't it? These branches get blessed by God, and then they get arrogant. These people get blessed by God, and then they make it about themselves. In all actuality, it's the exact same challenge that the original tree or olive branches had. God says, hey, I want you on my team. I want you, ethnic Israel, to be my people. And ethnic Israel's like, yay, we're God's people. And then all of a sudden, that notion of being God's people, of being blessed by God, turned into something decidedly self-centered. As opposed to being blessed by God and understanding how they could bless the world around them with the good news of who God is, they became inwardly focused. They became arrogant. Paul is warning the new branches of the exact same malady. Thankfully, that doesn't happen today. Right? Because that would never happen here, right? I mean, here among us. We would never experience the blessings of God and then turn arrogant. 
we would never be blessed by God and then somehow think that it's all about us. We would never experience the blessings of God like, I don't know, the country that we live in, the economic wealth that we have advantage or exposure to, even salvation itself. We would never experience those blessings and then somehow think it's about us, right? We don't have to worry about that today. We would never, ever, ever be blessed by God and fail to bless the world around us. I'm just really so grateful we don't have to worry about those challenges. Current issue of Time Magazine, an article, cover article, How My Generation Broke America by Stephen Brill. Now, there's two things that make this article really unique. First of all, it actually portrays a baby boomer taking responsibility for something. Oh, Oh, groan. Come on, you have always been ripping on us Xers and the millennials and the Zs. It's come on. He's saying it, okay? Now, whether or not you agree with Brill or not, that's something for a different day and a different page. The second thing that makes the article worthwhile, and again, I don't care if we agree with everything that he says, he puts forward this idea that the baby boomers are somewhat responsible for the state of the country. Now, this is unique because typically what we do when we see a problem or a challenge or some situation that is less than, we look for the person to blame. We look for something external to us and we say, okay, this situation caused this to happen to me or that situation or these market conditions or this reality or this political entity. And Brill makes the argument, no, it's us. It's us. And by us, he's referring to his generation I think it is so tempting, it is so easy to experience the blessing of God in our life. And certainly that accrues to us in many different ways and ultimately accrues to us in this thing called salvation if we are to be found in Christ. It is so easy to take those blessings of God and somehow think it's all about us as opposed to taking the blessings of God and using them as an opportunity to bless the world that, around, that is around us. Another way of looking at it is like this. We like to wrestle with certain passages in the book of Romans, wondering how it could be this or that. We've debated theological things about what God knows and how God knows and when God knows. And to be sure, those are worthwhile discussions to engage upon. But but here is a set of verses, shocking in their reality, simple in their advice. This is not complex. This is plain as the nose on your face stuff. This is changing a light switch without throwing the breaker off and getting that wonderful sense of 120, 60 hertz running up each arm. This wakes you up. The root supports the branches. The branches are not primary. And the branches get disconnected because of arrogance, because of unbelief. 
And the encouragement that Paul has is to stand fast with faith. Verse 20. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. It's a metaphor that's challenging for us because how do I stand fast? This last week, there was an article in the New York Times that recounted a, uh, uh, a battle scene that happened in Syria on February 7th. And the situation was this. Pro-Assad forces were gathering to take over this oil field, which in that part of the world becomes a very important thing. And the airfield was protected by about 40-plus United States um, armed, armed personnel. Um, some individuals representing the Green Beret, uh, the Delta Force, um, uh, Army Rangers, and the United States Marine Corps. And, and, and against this group of 46 gentlemen, there was a, a, a foe of three to 400, 500 with tanks and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I don't know what it would be like to be in that situation where, where you're outnumbered by at least tenfold. Now, to be sure, the American forces knew they had superior air power and superior air power would be deployed. But they're in that situation. And this is a weekend in which we celebrate, remember, memorialize, honor those who have given their last full measure. Who in the face of adversaries stood firm. Did you see that story about the, 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 the middle school teacher? Kid walks into his room, starts shooting the place up. The guy goes after him and takes him out. Standing firm. And I understand, okay, that those examples are extreme and very few of us will encounter those sort of life and death situations, hopefully. But I think the examples and, and, and the reason why we gather for this weekend is instructive when you put it in the context of this verse, to stand firm in your faith. Why? Because you're connected to the root. You're connected to this life-giving, life-sustaining reality that is the God of the universe. Text goes on, verse 22. If you're taking notes, this might be something you want to take notes on. Note then this kindness and the severity of God. Now we missed a transition verse in there, so let's grab it, right? For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So there seems to be this challenge that's offered that if you are connected to God, to take that relationship seriously, to stand fast through faith, to reject unbelief. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity. Two words that you might want to re write down if you're taking notes at home. One of which we really like. We like the kindness of God. We like the grace of God. We like the mercy of God. We like the love of God. We like to talk about these things about the God. They make us feel good about ourselves and make us feel good about our God. We embrace them with open arms. Severity, that might be a little bit different. But Paul is arguing, this is the one that we don't have to be afraid of. 
In reality, we should welcome the kindness of God and we should welcome the severity of God. Because isn't there a part of you that really wants to know that in the end, at the end of all things, all things are made right? That the injustices are made just? Paul argues, be aware of the kindness of God, but also be aware of the severity of God. What got the original branches in trouble is they disconnected their existence from belief. What will get any subsequent branches in trouble is the exact same reality. I offer you the challenge. If you're wondering whether or not you're taking the kindness of God to an extreme, if you're not focusing or not aware of the severity of God, ask. Ask. Ask me, I'll tell you. If I know you well enough, I'll tell you. I'll be straight up honest with you because life is at stake. Being connected to the root is at stake. If I know you well enough, I'll say, I think, I think you're in danger of breaking yourself off. I don't think you realize the steps that you're taking and the pathway that you're on. If you don't feel comfortable asking me, ask someone that's closest to you. Or, or best of all, ask the Holy Spirit. Challenge the Holy Spirit. Say, okay, Holy Spirit, here I am. I think I'm connected. I think I'm grafted in. I think I'm tight into the root. Am I really there? Or am I presuming upon God's kindness, not recognizing that I've drifted away? Challenge the Holy Spirit. Create a sense in my life if I'm wandering from you. The Holy Spirit will do it. The text concludes, because God is a God of second chances, misfits, and broken branches. Verse 23, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This notion that Paul frequently comes back to, that God is patient. God is so willing to wait and wait and wait and wait. God takes the long view. He waits for you and he waits for me. He waits even if we're ambivalent or antagonistic or arrogant because he wants us connected to him. If there's one thing that Paul has been clear on, and I think there's many things, but if there's one thing that Paul has been clear on, it is the need that each of us have for a savior a desperate need that all people have for a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, maybe, maybe even allow the Holy Spirit to do business. 
In the quietness of the moment, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Are you connected? Are you grafted into the root? Are you being nourished by a life-giving reality that only comes from God? Have you ignored the reality? Have I ignored the reality of the severity of God? Have I presumed upon his kindness? Father, we affirm that you are a God who desperately wants us to be connected to you. That you wait, that you long for us to be grafted into your life-giving, life-sustaining reality. Father, we invite you to work into our hearts. We invite your spirit to encourage us, to convict us, to give us an assurance of exactly where we're at, Father, thank you for this time. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.